to the Oyster Stew podcast, where we discuss what's happening in the industry based on what we see as we work with regulators and clients. Oyster consultants are industry practitioners. We aren't career consultants. We've done your job and we know the issues you face. You can learn more about Oyster Consulting and the value we can add to your firm by going to our website, oysterllc.com. Hi, and welcome to part two of our podcast series on cryptocurrencies and digital assets. The wheels are turning. Are you up to date? Today, Oyster Consulting's Jeff Gearhart and Buddy Doyle continue the conversation. Are cryptocurrencies and stablecoins a currency or a security? Are they the digital gold some people say they are, or will they go the way of VHS and Betamax? If you like what you hear today, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to so we can continue to provide high-quality information to our listeners. Buddy, let's just start with cryptocurrencies. Uh, are they a currency or are they a speculative asset? I mean, I, I certainly have my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, my opinion is yes. Um, I think they are a, a currency and I think they are a speculative asset. They're a currency that doesn't act like a currency. They may not be the most widely accepted currency, but you can certainly exchange goods and services for them. So I think they fit that bill. But I think they fit that bill more in areas where access to the banking system is not available or for the unbanked population where there is a banking system. I think a lot of folks use cryptocurrency and coins and things like that because they're not part of the traditional financial services world in in the u.s so so it becomes relevant in the lesser developed countries which is why i think some are trying to take the lead there i think nigeria is trying to take the lead because their citizens are most suspicious of their government and they're looking for a way to expand globally so here's a question for you though or a thought when you look at a currency, it needs to be a store of value. I'm going to use something I read. No questions asked. When people are exchanging a currency, they have to have faith and trust in its value, and they don't they don't want to have to do do due diligence to make sure it's it's viable. Does Bitcoin meet that? If it goes from thirty five thousand to sixty five thousand, now it's around forty six thousand. How much trust is there in that as a currency? You can certainly exchange it, but what's the reliability as a store of value? Well, I think that depends on your time horizon, but the value of Bitcoin is very volatile, to your point. Folks who bought Bitcoin at $900 are loving it because it has expanded uh, their wealth significantly. And I can't think of another coin or currency where they would have gotten that value store and growth in value. What I don't like is when people call it digital gold. To me, that is just outlandish statement. And I'm a Bitcoin believer to to a certain extent. I don't know what it's worth, but I, I think the platform is thoughtful and designed but I think there were some things in there that had unintended consequences for Bitcoin. The 
the scarcity of the the resource and the way that you come into mining new Bitcoin has, similar to gold, caused it to grow and shrink in value as you find new ways to mine. I think there's a large belief that cryptocurrencies will solve a lot of real problems uh, for folks. If you are an immigrant from Nigeria in the United States, how are you going to get that money home to help your family? And you can go through an international exchange process to get it into through the Nigerian process that people there don't trust. Or it can just be on somebody's phone in about 10 seconds. And I think that when you look at that, there is a lot of great use cases for it. But it, it's not gold. There is, Bitcoin's been around for over a decade. So it's got a track record. Gold's been around for even longer than that. Gold's been around for millennia as a store of value. So track records, I think, are important to most investment professionals when they're looking at something. We're not talking investing yet, but I think that people have bought Bitcoin using it as an investment, using it under the understanding of the scarcity and the adoption and how that should drive price up. It's a straightforward supply-demand curve we all learned in Economics 101 in action in front of our eyes right now today. So you see Bitcoin moving up and down, and I think the volatility makes it a less appealing currency because of the way I shop and the way I operate. When I want something, I'm going to buy it, and I actually set aside cash from my investments as safe money. Well, if you're setting aside cash out of your stock portfolio as safe money in Bitcoin, <laughs> I'm not sure the regulator's going to buy into that all that well. Right. I think one of the other interesting things that comes out of this comment, and I think we can get into this, is the stable currencies, which you would think of as currencies, aren't currencies, they're securities. Right. Under the definition in the U.S. law. Not all of them. Right? They don't have to be, but the way they're constructed today meets the definition of a security. I agree. And I, I was going to ask, for the store of value, doesn't a stable coin do a better job of that? Because in theory, it's supposed to be backed. I think we're finding they're not backed exactly as, as everybody has said or assumed. Um, the transparency is not there. For example, Tether. It, the theory was it was a dollar for every tether coin. There was a dollar behind it. But in reality, there's commercial paper and corporate bonds and other securities behind it, which leads right up to what you're saying. It's a security and subject to all those rules. But just for a second, doesn't that help the exchange for the person in Nigeria trying to get money back to their family? Stable coins solve that volatility issue, don't they? They do. But the problem is... They're a security, so you've got to go through a broker-dealer to acquire them that has to be registered and comfortable that they can make money by issuing them. Because we're all in, in business. Well, we have purpose-driven businesses, but one of them is to, to make a profit in most businesses. And I think we've got this regulatory problem here in the U.S. where it's clearly a security under the Howey test. 
These things are synthetic instruments. They are stabilized with swaps and securities and yeah, some CDs and all that. And for years and years and years and years, we've used money market funds that are constructed similarly, but they're securities. So I think that we've got a problem in that the, the use is different. The benefit is the same. The rules are different, right? It just doesn't quite line up yet. If we're going to be competitive in the future, I think the U.S. markets have got to figure out how to solve this because it appears to me like cryptocurrencies are not going anywhere. I think they are probably going to continue to expand. I think that we are in a efficiency evolution that is occurring in our financial systems. And if you look back historically at all the things that have happened over time in our financial systems to create efficiency with new products, new services, this sounds an awful lot like moving from bank tellers to ATMs and from ATMs to card transactions instead of checks. Right. And then, you know, I think we're, we've really found a more efficient way to do business, except we're just not wired that way yet. Maybe I'll offer up this analogy. When the iPhone came out, nobody knew why they needed an iPhone or would want an iPhone. And now nobody can do without their iPhone or their Samsung or, or Galaxy or whatever. But uh, if, if you recall when this first occurred, there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, and look at how the, the world's evolved to this point. I agree with you. I think we're having a, a remarkable change. I think the global payment system is going to change drastically as we learn to use the technology. But there needs to be a confidence in the system. I like to use the term, who are you going to call when things go go bad? Um, it's and it's happening. People, uh, they don't know how to secure their wallets. You don't even know if you have true good possession and control sometimes. And how do you protect yourself, the cybersecurity issues from the hackers out there? People are doing this for fun. This is a challenge and it's a global game <laughs> to try and hack into these systems and they're succeeding. And that's another thing that our constituents at Oyster need to really understand is that it's not a perfect instrument. Actually, yeah, I remember early on in Bitcoin's evolution, people were saying it can't be hacked. And that doesn't mean it can't be hacked because people are responsible for their passwords and their keys and things like that. And people are people. They do what they do. So I remember listening to a staffer for a, a senator in, in New York State who was talking about that first Bitcoin exchange where all the, I guess the founder of the exchange got confused about whether the assets belong to the customers or are themselves. I remember the conversation of, of him saying when the senator said, get me Bitcoin on the phone, because uh, he wanted to go protect his constituents you know, that led to a very interesting conversation because you can't just get Bitcoin on the phone. <laughs> um, I don't care who you are. So I think that you're right. Who do you call? How do you deal with it? But similar question, who do you call when you lose your cash? I think it's a similar 
problem, but hackers are less likely to get into my wallet that's on my dresser than they are to get into my wallet that's on the internet, unless I take all the safety precautions that are that are necessary. And that's an educational process for folks, I think. I think confidence in the system will go a long way towards the broad acceptance. It's definitely, the term is DeFi that's popular now in terms of how it's entering the banking system and trying to disintermediate folks. But there's an advantage to some of those intermediaries in terms of confidence helping to solve the problem. And I think that'll be relevant as we go forward. And I'll go as far as saying DeFi won't be a term in five years. It'll just be called finance because we will just evolve to accepting these new platforms and the way money can be exchanged. And that's going to filter its way into our world, the broker-dealer world, as we continue to use this knowledge, blockchain, distributed ledger, to handle settlements and make back office processes more efficient. I mean, the front's already pretty much electronic and, and doing a lot of pretty cool things, but it's going to flow into the back office as well. I totally agree. And I think that trust is occurring, right? These, these products are expanding as people understand how they're designed and how they work. We are growing it. We still don't have it. But I think until our regulators really come out and tell us what the rules are, we won't have confidence that we can follow them. You can't hit a target you can't see. Right. And there's just not enough clarity, I think, for wide adoption. Yet. Yeah. Yet. I think yeah. we're going to get there. And I, I haven't said this all along, but I'm going to say right now, because I've been skeptical I'm still skeptical, but I think we're going to get to cryptocurrencies, digital exchange of funds as the primary way that we transact our business, just like we stream music today instead of going to the record store. We go to the record store for nostalgia now, <laughs> but I think that uh, it took a legitimate business person, if you want to call them that, to move streaming music from being stolen by Napster, right, right, to a legitimate industry with confidence and support of the participants in there. And we need to find those Steve Jobs type folks that, that started streaming music on iPods or doing iPhones to really build this thing out in a way that makes the ease of use there for it. We need the regulations to make it legal so we can all know what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And we need a little bit more infrastructure here and a little bit more time to figure out, is Bitcoin VHS or is it Betamax? That's right. going to get replaced by Netflix. But I don't know that one yet. I'm not going to make that bet. But uh, I do think you can realize that DeFi, decentralized finance, is, is going to likely move forward because there's a real need for that, too. If you think about the use cases for uh, decentralized finance, you know, there's a whole world of crowdfunding is necessary 
which is sort of like that, right? Kind of directionally similar to decentralized finance, except this is global. And it's worldwide so that if you're in a country where you're trying to start a business, maybe your gender doesn't match up to the gender that the government thinks you ought to have to be able to start a business. The world doesn't feel that way. You can get money, but you need a different source than the one that's available in your local market. Here we are with decentralized finance, purpose-driven investors. There's going to be some fraud around that. There's always fraud around new issues and new businesses. But once we lay the rules out, we can get comfortable. And hopefully they're thoughtful rules. A lot of times rules just get in the way of innovation. But uh, if they're thoughtful rules, then I think we can really see a huge benefit from this that grows economies, that creates efficiencies, Nobody's trading under the buttonwood tree their stocks anymore. Nobody's using stock certificates to prove they own a company. It's really digital already. It's a memo entry in a location. like what you heard, make sure to follow the Oyster Stew podcast on whatever platform you listen to. If you'd like to learn how we can help firms start, run, protect, and grow their business, visit our website at oysterllc.com.